If you grabbed an outline on your way in, you see at the very top it says, Serve Your Neighbor, a message from Luke 10. We've been walking through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week, Larry talked to us about this lawyer who stood up to test Jesus. This lawyer who realized, or Jesus was pointing out, that he had a blind spot. He couldn't see his Samaritan neighbor. And so today we'll look at the text itself of the story Jesus told to this lawyer that starts in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to the place where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Then the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus asks this lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to gather together as a family and receive life together. We trust that, that we are sustained by your word, your living and active word, that you feed us as we worship you, that you you give us nourishment as we connect with one another in this room, as we remember that we are one family, enjoying, in a sense, family dinner together on Sunday mornings. And so we thank you for an opportunity to gather around this table and receive this meal of your word week in and week out. And we pray that today you would nourish us, that you would sustain us, that we wouldn't find life in trying to create significance for us, ourselves, or even trying to do some amazing fruitful work for you, but we would find life in our identity that comes from you, that we would know that we are accepted by you, and that we would seek out the things that nourish our souls. We think of Jesus who said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We think of Jesus who said, my food is through the work of him who sent me. This morning, we pray that as we eat your word in that way, that we would receive nourishment, and that even as we talk about serving our neighbor and doing that work, that that work would sustain us, and that you would cultivate your life in us as we are consumed by you in that way, and in a sense, as we consume you as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we get into trouble when we see our neighbor. This last week I was at a coffee shop in San Leandro working on this sermon about how to serve your neighbor. And so I was trying to do what Larry told us and and see the people around me. You ever sit in a coffee shop and just watch the people around you? I'm not an eavesdropper, but I listen to the people's conversations that are happening around me intently. And and so I'm sitting here at this coffee shop and, and I'm sitting at my table and it's facing kind of the window that faces the street. But between me and that window was kind of this 
high top table thing where people were sitting on their laptops. And I see this lady over there on her laptop and she's typing away, working on, you know, I wasn't looking, but some kind of graphic design project for the business that I was assuming that she does. <laughs> and I was thinking, man, this lady's got a sweet life, right? Not realizing that I'm doing the same thing. Like she, she's sitting in a coffee shop on a Thursday morning, enjoying a latte and working from home or from this coffee shop. She's not stuck in some office. I envy her and I'm working on my sermon at the coffee shop. And, and I think, man, this lady's got a really sweet deal going for her. And, and then, as, as I'm not watching her work and not uh, stalking her in that way, I'm, I see this guy come over with his, like, drink, and he sits down right next to her. Like, like if she's, like, right here, he's, like, right here, like, right next to her. Like, there were other chairs, but he sat right next to her. And he didn't like look out the window. He was kind of like half facing her and like drinking his coffee, right? And so you were thinking, I'm creepy looking over. Like he's like, kind of like, what are you doing over there, right? And I'm like, oh man, like this guy, what's, what's this guy want, right? And I'm not listening to their conversation, but what she says to him is, <laughs> as they start talking, she says, oh yeah, my boyfriend and I come to this place all the time. I'm like, there it is, guy. There's your answer. Get out of here, right? She doesn't want to talk to you. She wishes her boyfriend was here right now because he'd punch you in the face for looking at, at your laptop and talking to his girlfriend, right? And she doesn't want to be with you, right? And I think somebody should do something, right? This guy's not taking the hint. And she's so nice, right? She'll like try to do the thing where she like works on her laptop and then he talks to her and she like looks over like, yes, right? <laughs> And then she'll turn and she'll talk to him for a while and then she'll go back to her laptop and he's not taking the hint. She doesn't want to talk to him, right? And I start getting this feeling like somebody should do something, right? So I'm looking around, who's going to do something? Because right? this, this girl, she's too nice. Some of us are too nice, right? And we, we're not going to defend ourselves. We're not going to say get lost, right? We're, we're too nice to people that shouldn't be talking to us, right? And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm running through scenarios, right? Like I could simply go over there and, and grab him and throw him out the door. Like that's one thing I could do. I, I do that all the time. Uh, I could just, I could do the passive aggressive thing and like sidle up on the other side of him and be like, hey man, what are you guys talking about, right? And, right, I can be aggressive and say, hey, this girl wants you to talk to her, right? There's a lot of things that I could do, right? And, and so I, I decided for now, let's leave it alone, right? I'm not gonna listen. Have you ever tried not to listen to a conversation? I could not stop listening, right? He's just going on and on. And where are you from? What do you do, right? And, and she's like, two nights, she's reciprocating. Where are you from? What do you do? I'm like, stop asking him questions. Go back to work, right? So I'm sitting there. And eventually, it gets to the point that it's like unbearable for me. Some of you are like me. You know exactly how I feel right now. Like, I can't get any work done because I can't stop listening to their conversation. <laughs> Like this thing needs to end. I got to do something, right? So finally, I just snapped and I did something. I, I took my phone out and I opened up Spotify and then I grabbed my headphones and I plugged them in and I put my headphones in and I turned it up all the way and then I like turned my chair away from the window so I couldn't even see him anymore and I'm like listening to worship music. I'm blocking them out completely. I've totally looked the other way and I'm like, okay. Now I could write this sermon on how to serve your neighbor, right? <laughs> you know, you think that you would, uh, uh, you would see some irony in a moment like that. I did not, right? I, I had this burden in my heart that I've, I've got to do something to help this young lady. 
<laughs> and instead, I just like went into a cave and hid. And last week, Larry challenged us to see our neighbors. And that was me <laughs> trying to see my neighbor. Did you try to see your neighbor this last week? You see the people who are serving you in a restaurant, see the barista, to see the guy, the homeless man on the side of the road at the sign. And what, what I noticed as I, as I looked to see my neighbors, and if you're taking notes, this is where we start today, is, is there's a difference between having a blind spot and turning a blind eye. And I think we talked about last week the fact that we have a blind spot to people in our world that we do not see. But what I noticed last week is that I don't have a blind spot as much as I love to turn a blind eye to things that require my help in this world. That's my issue. I see Jesus at the same time as he is drawing out this story. He's talking to this lawyer who has a blind spot for Samaritans. And yet he tells a story about a priest and a Levite who did not have a blind spot, but turned a blind eye to a man on the side of the road dying in need. And Jesus takes pains to say, when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. When the Levite saw him, he passed by on the other side. These guys didn't have a blind spot. These guys intentionally turned a blind eye to a neighbor in need. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we'd see that we do that all the time too. And it's not that we don't notice the homeless man on the side of the road. <laughs> it's that when we notice him, we change lanes and we lock our doors and we roll up our windows. You know, it's not that we don't notice our neighbor in the front yard kind of looking like, oh, Danny's home. I'm going to talk to him, right? We, we notice that. Um, but we park on the other side of the driveway and we sneak in real quick before we can see him, right? <laughs> right? The problem is not that when we go on Facebook, we don't see all the people who are suffering and talking about injustice and systemic issues and racism and prejudice and all those things. It's not that we don't see that. It's that we don't know how to get involved. Our hearts don't know what to do with it. We don't know what our part to play in it. So we turn a blind eye and we delete the app. We decide everything's getting too political. Let's stop those conversations. We try to avoid getting involved in those types of issues, not because we don't see them, but because when it comes to the big hurtful things in this world, it's a lot easier to put in our headphones and turn our chairs than actually engage and do something. You know, for sure, the parable of the Good Samaritan is convicting to people like us, to people like me. But I think it brings life and freedom as well. I think as Jesus walks us through this story, we will see not just where we tend to mess up, but I think we'll see the secret of what he's trying to draw out of us to turn us into people who give life instead of running away from the times that God wants to use us to help others. If you've ever studied the parable of the Good Samaritan before, how many of you have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan before? All right, some of you don't like raising your hands, right? So yes, we've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan before. Every time I've ever heard it taught, here's the deal that we always end up wrestling with is for this priest and the Levite, we say, here's the hard thing. For a priest, it is sinful to touch a dead body. That, that's the deal. Jesus puts this priest on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he sees this man languishing on the side of the road and the Old Testament tells us that a priest can't touch a dead body and so he's in a dilemma. The dilemma is, do I go and help this guy who's half dead who might die in my hands and then I'm unclean or do I pass by on the other side and hope someone else can help this guy because I technically can't help him. That's the dilemma and that's a legitimate dilemma. In the Old Testament, touching a dead body, being near a dead body, isn't painted really as a sin, but it's painted as this issue of cleanliness. 
But death, in a sense, is part of life. We all encounter it from time to time. We have loved ones who pass away. We have funerals we go to. There's open caskets that we walk past, all that kind of stuff. And we have to encounter death. In the Old Testament, it says, when you encounter death, when you're touching someone who is dead, you've become unclean. And so you need to go through this ritual to make yourself clean. You've got to go to the temple. You've got to do this ceremonial stuff. You've got to wait a week. You've got to stay away from your family for a while. You've got to be purified because death makes you unclean. And so the rule was that even if you were a priest, who we think of pastors as the people who are at the funerals, in the Old Testament, priests really couldn't do funerals. They weren't allowed to go near dead bodies unless it was in their immediate family. Like even if their sister-in-law died, a priest couldn't go, only if it was his natural sister who passed away. That was kind of the rule for priests because they had to be on duty for God at all times, prepared to do God's work, and so they couldn't risk becoming unclean because they went to a buddy's funeral. And so they had to stay ready to serve God at any time. The high priest couldn't even go to his own mom's funeral. He couldn't be anywhere near a dead body because he had to be always ready to serve the Lord at any time. So Jesus draws out the irony. A a priest is walking down the street and and he sees a man who needs his help. This man has been jumped. This man has been beaten. He's been stripped of his clothes. He's half dead. He's, He's breathing, but probably not for long. And we're thinking, well, somebody should should help this guy. The high priest should help this guy. But the high priest, or sorry, the priest could not help this man. Because if he helped him, then he would no longer be fit for duty for serving the Lord. So even if God called him to serve this man, he said, well, I can't serve this man because I need to be ready to serve the Lord at any time. And Jesus brings out the irony in that, which is that sometimes religion makes it hard to love our neighbors. Sometimes religious people are the worst at loving their neighbors. He starts to draw that out for these folks. He says, why is it that your religion, which is trying to keep this man clean, is actually keeping him from doing the right thing and serving a person in need? And if we, think we, if we really think about it, we'll realize that that kind of happens to us as well. well. I know some folks who live in amazing neighborhoods. Like this is like a cul-de-sac thing and everyone knows each other. They're always throwing the football around, right? That's how you know it's a good neighborhood. The kids are all outside playing. There's barbecues. They go on like boating trips on the weekends and the families go camping. It's like this amazing thing. And every time I talk to someone who has a neighborhood like that, I feel like they always tell me that everyone in their neighborhood gets along except for one family. You know who it is, right? It's us. He says that there's this one family and everyone gets along except for this one family. We never see them. The only, they never talk to anyone. They never come outside. They're never part of the block parties. The only time we ever see them, they say, is when they come out of their house on Sundays dressed in suits, they drive to church, then they drive home and they go back inside. That's the only time we ever see that family. So what's up with that? I'm not wearing a suit. Is that me? And why is it the religious people tend to be the worst at loving people? I had a seminary professor who, who said that he, he doesn't understand the irony that in churches like ours, we spend all year long talking about and praying about and strategizing how we can meet and love our neighbors. He said, and then there's one day a year, October 31st. And on that day, all of our neighbors come to our house and they bring their kids and we strike up conversations. And on that day, October 31st, that's the day that we all choose to turn off our lights, drive up to our church and talk about how sinful our neighbors are because they celebrate Halloween, (laughs) Satan's birthday. 
Halloween is not Satan's birthday. <laughs> Dramatic effect. What is that? I get it. Some of it is structural, right? Your, your neighbors, they all go camping on the weekends. And you want to be a good Christian, right? You say, I'd love to go, but unfortunately we can't because we go to church on Sundays. Or your kid wants to join a sports team and all the parents are starting to build relationships to get together. And then you say, you know what? Actually, I can't play on Sundays because we go to church on Sundays. Now you become like the black sheep of the baseball team or whatever. Your religion has made it so that you're the outsider in your community. Or your friends at work are all going out to get drinks on Friday night after work. And you went once or twice and it was weird and it wasn't your scene and the vibe was strange. And you said, you know what? Because I'm a Christian, I feel weird about this. You guys go have fun. I'm just going to go home. And so your religion... Not that it's bad. Your religion puts you in your place that you're the worst person at loving the people at your job. And Jesus draws that out. Why is it that religion tends to prevent us from loving our neighbors well? And you can say, we're, we're talking about camping and drinks and candy and Halloween. This guy was dead and dying on the side of the road. Surely if someone was dead and dying, the Christians would help. But I lament the fact that when I look back over the last few years and decades, in seasons of our country where people were dead and dying on the side of the road, the Christians were not the ones that helped. I remember when I was a kid, we had the HIV AIDS crisis. And talking about these people dying in the hospitals and in their homes and people were languishing and struggling and starving and it was terrible. And, and the question kept coming up, where are the Christians? How come the Christians aren't serving these people? How come the Christians aren't loving these people? How come the churches aren't coming alongside these people? And the churches also, well, it's complicated, right? Because it feels moral. These, this might be a drug issue or a sexuality issue. We don't know how to get involved because of our religion. And so we, we passed by on the other side. I think the last few years with these refugees from Syria and these from all over the world, you would think the Christians would be the ones to say, bring the folks, right? Read the Statue of Liberty. Send them our way. Send them into my home. We will care for them. Our church community will open our doors for these people. We want to show biblical hospitality and the love of Jesus Christ as we serve our neighbors around the world. But the Christians were not the people who cared for the refugees. Well, some of them did. But a lot of them felt like, I don't know, this feels like a political thing, and I don't know as a Christian how I should get in, involved. Our, our religion made it messy. So many of us passed by on the other side. You see people on, on Twitter, you see people on Facebook, you see people on the news, you see people wherever you see people talking about the issues of this world with racism and prejudice and systemic issues and... and structural issues that have been around since the inception of our country and the way that it affects folks today and that the fact that a black folks or black folks in our country are having a different experience than the white folks in our country and that our, my black daughters are going to grow up with a different experience than my white sons. And it's hard. And we look at that and we think, I don't know what to do with that. Is that a political issue or is that a, is this true? I don't, I don't know when it seems complicated and messy. And we're Christians, what do we do with all this? And so we tend to pass by on the other side. And folks who are hurting, and we're not there caring for them because it seems like when we care for them, we're making some statement we don't know if we want to make yet. And so we decide to stay clean <laughs> and cross the street and pass by on the other side. And the priest and the Levite were very interested in staying clean. 
my conviction in this passage is that there's a difference between trying to stay clean and refusing to get your hands dirty. And honestly, I feel like a lot of times that we think we're trying to stay clean and neutral, we're really not wanting to muddy ourselves with the dirt of this world. You pull into your driveway, it's not that you want to stay clean, it's you don't want to get your hands dirty by talking to your neighbor. You pull up next to the homeless guy, it's not that you're trying to stay clean and proper, it's just you don't want to get your hands dirty by having a conversation that might turn crazy with a homeless person, right? You're sitting in a coffee shop watching these people talk, and it's not that you don't, that you want to stay clean and work on my sermon and be a holy person, it's that I don't want to get my hands dirty and have to get in a fight with this guy at Zocalo, right? That's... There's a difference between trying to stay clean and not getting our hands, not being willing to get our hands dirty. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times, loving our neighbors, it's messy. Wading through the perceptions of different people in our culture and the experiences of different people in our culture is messy. Talking to your neighbor whose wife just left, it's messy. Figuring out where your place is and how to support refugees, and what to do with the housing. Your place in all of that, it's, it's messy, and it's a lot easier to stay clean and go to church and be a good person and pass by on the other side of all the issues that are hurting people in our world today. I'm not saying this because I'm immune to it. I'm saying this because I'm the guy with the headphones in, turned the other way at the coffee shop, trying to study the Bible about how to serve your neighbor while some lady's about to get taken advantage of by this creepy guy sitting in front of me. So I tried not to listen. And I tried not to look. And I tried not to eavesdrop. And I did a pretty good job. Until I saw her getting up to leave. Right? And I'm not an eavesdropper, I've told you that. But I decided this would probably be a good time for me to pick up on the conversation and listen. Right? So I took out my headphones and turned back that way a little bit. And I was really proud of her at first. Right? She's like, Hey, well, it's getting a little hot in this window, so I'm going to go sit on the other side of the coffee shop. I'm like, good for you, right? And then she's like, you can come and join me if you want. I'm like, no, 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 right? Too nice. That's the too nice. You're being too nice. I'm like, do I have to get involved? Like, headphones, headphones, right? And then the guy looks at her, and he's like, oh, no, that's okay. I like sitting here in the window. And I'm like, this guy is not an effective stalker, right? you got to stick with it, right? Like, I'm glad for that, but... He's like, besides, I'm going to go get another cup of water. I'm like, you're drinking water, man? You came in here, you didn't even order anything, and you're hitting on this girl, right? So she gets her laptop, she goes across the thing, and this guy gets down off of his seat, and he's holding his hot water in his hands, and I see him start to walk to the, to the barista, and, and as I look at him, I realize that this ha- guy has some special physical needs. And he goes over, and he's got this big smile on his face, and he asks the barista who knows his name, can I get more hot water? They're like, sure, right? And they give it back to him, and he's so excited, and he goes back to his window, and he sits down, big beaming looking out at the world. And I realize in that moment that I'm the jerk in this room, right? (laughs) This guy was not a creepy stalker. This guy was a, a sweet, special needs guy from the neighborhood, who loves people, who loves going down to his local coffee shop and getting a cup of hot water and sitting in the window and watching the cars drive by, who doesn't have maybe a lot of people to talk to. He was there by himself. And so when someone sits next to him or when he chooses to sit next to somebody, he's going to strike up a conversation and see what happens to build some friendship and community in this world. 
And that this woman who was sitting next to him knew that the instant he started talking to her. And so she was willing to drop what she was doing to love him in that moment and be that friend he was looking for. That when she realized she had that pull of getting back to work, every time he would speak, it was like she was compelled. You know what? This is why I'm here. So that when she left that spot, she invited him along because she realized she was in that place to extend friendship to a man in need, not to get her work done. And this is a place where the community comes together and loves each other, all except the one Christian guy who's sitting in the corner with his headphones in, (laughs) working on the message on how to love thy neighbor. (laughs) I, I trust you're not clapping for me. Thanks, Amanda. (sighs) It's interesting, the thing that, that is different about the Samaritan is not that he did something. We read the passage and Jesus says, when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. When the Levites saw him, he passed by on the other side. We'd expect that he would say, and when the Samaritan saw him, he did something. But Jesus doesn't tell us what the Samaritan did primarily. He tells us what the Samaritan felt primarily. He says, when he came to, the man was, he came to man where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion for him. His heart broke for him. The thing that differentiated the Samaritan was not his actions, is that his heart actually broke for the person he saw who was in need. If you're looking for a challenge this week, here's the question. What if your next step in loving your neighbor isn't action, but rather compassion? There's a time and a place for service. There's a time and a place to do something. The Samaritan did a lot. We'll talk about that next week. He continued to abide with this person and carry him on his shoulders in a sense. For, for a long, long time, he did above and beyond. There was action, action, action. But I think what Jesus is trying to get for us in this passage is that we might let our service flow from a heart of compassion. That, that's the key for us is not to be better doers, not to be better servants primarily, but to be men and women and kids who allow our hearts to break for the dying and broken and needy and hurting people around us. I saw a woman uh, this week in her car. I feel like I'm watching a lot of people this week. Larry told us to do this. I don't know. I saw this homeless man, he was on the median with a sign, right? And I saw this, the reason I noticed this is I saw this car window start to go down. And I'm like, ooh, someone's going to help him, right? Someone is going to serve their neighbor right here, right? And, and this woman had in her car one of those little bags. Have you seen this? This is a good tip, right? You, you get like a big gallon Ziploc bag and you put some amenities in there, some socks, some like granola bars, right? Some things that could be helpful for someone on the streets. And so she had those ready to go. I'm like, good on you, lady, Right? But what I noticed was that the way she did it, she looked more like a care dispenser, like a Pez dispenser, than a compassionate person, right? So she pulls up next to the homeless guy at the stoplight, and she rolls down her window like this much. And she like squishes the bag out the window, like, and it like lands on the ground in front of the guy. And then she like rolls it up as fast as she can, and I can, see, I can like feel her heart beating, like turn green, turn green, turn green, turn green, turn green, right? 
And so chances, maybe this was a woman who was here last week and trying to serve her neighbor and like, I gotta do something, but I'm so scared. I've never done it before. Maybe, right? Or maybe she's like the rest of us who like, no, we should do something, but we're terrified and our heart isn't in it. So we just wanna do something and then run away, right? We don't wanna be like the priest and the Levite who passed by on the other side. We wanna go like pray for the guy and then run away, right? Like I did my piece, let me out of here, right? that's, that's probably not what Jesus is advocating, right? Help people, give them those care packages. Awesome, right? I get the fear thing. I've got it too. I think the primary thing that God would call us to do this week after we've spent a week seeing our neighbors is that we might spend this next week letting our hearts break for our neighbors. That we might notice the condition of our hearts as we drive past that homeless man. But as we pull into our driveway and we see that our neighbor looks like they want to talk to us, that instead of clamping our hearts down and trying to find an exit strategy, that instead we would allow ourselves to feel for that man or that woman who wants our attention. And we see the issues in this world that are plaguing so many of us that we would sense when anger fills our hearts and when we tend to just shut down and delete the app and close our phones and avoid the conversations and instead we would lean in and let our hearts start to break that we would hear folks' stories, that we would take in the information and be okay with feeling sad with people. Instead of thinking like our job is just to figure out how to fix it or just to run. Sometimes honestly, like my experience, you don't know how to fix it unless you stay and let your heart be broken for the right things. This morning after the sermon, we have an opportunity to help a family in need in our church. I'm going to tell you about this opportunity, and yet, as I do, I don't want you to start grabbing for your wallet or for your checkbook. I want you to spend some time as you think about this story, letting your heart feel for this family. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we heard that, that this mom and dad and their three little kids who've been coming to our church for eight years lost everything they own in this fire that just devastated their house. Everything. Everything is gone. And they moved into the Bay eight years ago, and so now they've lost their house, they've lost all their stuff, and they can't afford to get into a new place around here because did you know that rent is crazy right now? So they're out of their house. They don't have a new place to go into. They have no stuff, right? They went from being fine to being on the streets in like a minute. So they've been staying with a family at our church. We've been talking about ways that our church family, us, can come alongside and help them. We're going to receive this offering this morning for our benevolence fund, which is the fund of money that we use to dispense uh, gifts to folks like this in need in our community. And yet before you give to that fund, let me invite you to feel for this family. What would it feel like to lose everything? You You might be thinking right now, well, possessions aren't everything. Or they still have each other. They're all alive, right? Imagine what it would be like to be in a place that you know and you're convincing yourself. Possessions don't mean anything. Why am I so sad? Possessions don't mean anything. I still have my family, but you're still grieving over your stuff and you're feeling guilty about it because you know you shouldn't be, but you can't stop and you don't know where you're going to go and you're trying to trust God. Imagine what that would be like. And I'm not telling you this because we need you to give more money, right? We'll do an offering. We'll have enough to help these folks. I'm telling you this because if you want to learn to love your neighbor, the step that you need to take is from seeing the need to feeling compassion. And if we can be people who learn how to feel compassion, we'll be people who can serve our neighbor. There's a chance this morning as we close that you're like, I don't have any compassion. 
I've tried to feel for the homeless community. I've tried to feel for my neighbor. I've tried to feel for the injustice in the world. I've tried to feel. I don't feel. I just get mad. I, have, I don't want to help anyone. I help myself, right? You've got this like in your heart and you've tried to feel love. You're just being honest and you're like, I can't. The, the last thing for you to fill out this morning is that if you don't have compassion in your heart, you may need to ask Christ for a new one. I'm not saying that to be condemnatory, but, but for me, the most condemnatory verse in the entire Bible is 1 John 3, 17. John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Or in the same way, if you told me, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, but honestly, I don't really love Jesus. I kind of I hate God. I'd be like, I don't know if you're really a Christian. You can't be a Christian and hate God. And Jesus says the same thing's true with your neighbor, right? If you don't love your neighbor, the love of God cannot be in your heart. And so the reason I'm saying that is that this morning, if you're realizing that you don't even have an inkling of compassion in your heart for the needy, you probably need a new heart. And Jesus says that when we trust in him, the way that it works is he replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. There's a chance you've been going through the motions of religion for a long, long time and never really surrendered your life to Christ and allowed him to remake you from the inside out. If that's you this morning, as we pray for this offering, as we pray for our community, as we pray for the needs in the world, maybe this is time for you to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I need to be transformed. If life transformation comes through following Christ, I realize today I'm not even following you. God, I need you. I trust you died for me. Let me believe that. I trust you rose from the grave to give me life. I need that life. Replace my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And the beautiful thing is if you trust Christ with that prayer, he will do that. He will transform you from the inside out. And even though it's scary, he's going to start to give you love for people around you. And he himself will equip you to love your neighbor. Let me pray for us and then we'll receive this offering together.